0: And welcome back to week six of NBC Sports Edge's DFS building block show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. And this week, a very special guest, also friend in life, a man whose kids woke me up at seven in the morning to tell me to watch them play video games as I was on the couch after homebrew until 3 a.m. None other than Chris Allen. Chris, how's your season going so far?
3: Uh, I'm trying to weather it, just like guys, uh, just like you guys, pun intended. Uh, but I think I'm. I'm trying to figure out what the injuries are, the injury situations are going to be for the week six slate. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, but then, of course, you bring me on for my weather analysis. But that, I'm doing all right, guys. I'm happy you guys brought me on.
0: We brought you on for a lot of reasons, to be fair. We'll get into all that shortly. Kyle, as always, we like to start the show with a quick recap, something hopefully that we can learn from last week's results. So tell us how you did last week.
2: Uh, Last week was, it was my best, it was my best week, and it wasn't even that good of a week because like, I'm just, you know, I'm playing all the super large field. If you don't place, you know, top, Fifteen twenty 20 in like the, uh, you know, the hundred dollars buy right? Like you're what, like three X in your money, four X in your money. If you're not really up there, up I there. can confirm. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I was up there. I was like on that, like three X line waiting for the, uh, the four o'clock game hammer and it never came. And instead it was the reverse hammer where I was like, I'm live for mm-hmm. some stuff. Derrick Henry got the hundred yard bonus within a few minutes left of the game and scored. And then the, uh, the weird Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler stack that everyone was playing got there. So I was really live for like uh the up until the end of the excited a lot of Brady, right? And uh, I even stacked him primarily with Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. And it's looking great. And then on the slate where like the winning scores are like 250 or whatever like dude, I don't know. It's just it wasn't going to happen.
0: DraftKings were a lot of 300 points and it's important to note that because it was mostly due to the chalk hitting. There's a reason yeah. why like every single field gets to that point, And it's because all the popular plays hit when that happens so rarely. That's why we always fade the chalk. So just an anomaly, even though I will say what I learned is that last week we talked about it a little bit, how Leonard Fournette in a vacuum was a bad play. And I still agree with that. And he wasn't in winning tournament lineups. The issue is as i say every week is that every piece of information is information we can use it to our advantage we just know how, we just have to know how to use it and last week the way to use it was to note that fornet was chalk and then leverage that into a terrific double stack in Tom Brady. And like you said, you thought it would they would be higher roster, Brady, Evans, A.B., Godwin, some form of that stack. And it turns out they were all single digits. So that was the leverage off of Fournette. So despite Fournette getting there, he wasn't in any optimal lineups in the end since our opponents had Fournette. And all the winning, all the top four lineups in bigger tournaments all had Brady double stacks. And so between that and single digit Mike Williams, who of course, like had his worst performance of the season, but was still a top five receiver to that point. Like that's the time you play the bounce back. For instance, like Brandon Cook this week, that's the time you play the bounce back after they're off of such a bad spot. And so those are really the two takeaways. I'm actually upset at myself for not having any Brady knowing Fournette was going to be chalk. <laughs> Don't um, worry, it didn't that, matter. didn't <laughs> matter. <right>? I know. <laughs> other than that, Chris Allen, though, uh, What else have you learned? Is there any like big takeaway so far as we are in the middle of what is the sharpest DFS season to date? I think one
3: of the biggest takeaways is that I think kind of what you were talking about beforehand is that as we're learning more about these teams, like we need to adjust with what the teams are telling us. Like, is Mike Williams the wide receiver one for the Chargers? And I think so far the team has been telling us, yes, of course, we need to figure out his injury situation. And the same thing like Lamar Jackson. While we have historically looked at Lamar Jackson as a rushing quarterback, now do we need to look at him as a passing quarterback? He's been able to at least hit those 300-yard passing bonuses on multiplication so far this season. So that the team is also telling us that. So while we have these historical trends that we normally lean on, while we have data that kind of points us in the direction of how we view players and their archetypes up until this season, so far through the uh, the first four to five weeks, those those trends, those biases all have been challenged. And so I think that we need to at least try, try and take a look at those priors, adjust to them, and see how that's going to uh, factor into our decision-making process
2: as we move forward throughout the season. a one thing you hit on that you just briefly touched on, but I think it'll something that will go overlooked, is on the slates where all the chalk hits, dude, you're just not going to win. Like, we are playing, yeah. you cannot win tournaments every week. It is literally impossible. Yeah. Even if you have the best projections, you are building the best lineups, you're not going to win. We want to win typically on the low-scoring slates because when it's low-scoring, it means the chalk all fails. And that is a very easy avenue because there are going to be slates where almost all the chalk fails or some of that, you know, middle ownership succeeds. But it's like, you know, the Derrick Henry 22 point game. Those are the types of slates we want to win. Last week, it was Alexander Madison chalk hit. It was uh, was Damian Williams had a fine game. Derrick Henry got there at the end. And uh, what else do we have? Oh, uh, Devontae Adams had a perfectly fine game, a tournament capable Mm -hmm. game. That's all chalked. It's hitting. You need to run a perfect nine for nine lineup on the on the slates where the chalk hits. You don't need to play one hundred percent perfect when all the chalk fails because you've already built up like it's the perfect leverage slate. So there are going to be slates where you are just dead as soon as you know the the final results come up, and you could have said I didn't need to watch this week.
0: Mm -hmm. also you mentioned the reverse hammer in the afternoon it literally was that since all the chalk hit specifically and the 1 p.m games and then the opposite essentially happened in the afternoon where those that's when the low owned plays like your Justin Herbert Nick Chubb Mike Williams skinny stacks all came in I had Brandon Iuke and DeAndre Hopkins skinny stacks and even though Hopkins did do well he got there Hopkins was my leverage and response for Devontae Adams, who I knew would be high rostered. Here's the thing. Devontae Adams to get 100 yards and a touchdown is just fine. Hopkins and <laughs> Anthony was 80 yards and a touchdown. We're okay. Uh, Adams could not have 200 yards and a touchdown because yeah. then mm-hmm. he just ends your world. He had 40-plus points on DraftKings. So even though I had Derrick Henry, because we talked about I was going to play on no matter what because I thought there were a few ceiling plays. The thing is the two ceiling plays that everyone was trying to spin down at running back to get up to both hit. Like, you weren't stopping 120-yard, three-touchdown Derrick Henry, and you weren't stopping – the Bengals, at least, weren't stopping 200-yard Devontae Adams that day. So Mm -hmm. it was just an odd week. It's one that I still prefer, though, not so much the chalk, but when the correlations at the top make sense. Like, it absolutely made sense knowing – we talked about it last week, how there were really only two confident tight ends, even though I played Robert Tonyan, complete failure because Devontae Adams gets everything in that offense. Mm-hmm. But it was Darren Waller and Jasicki. And so that's why it made so much sense for that Brady stack in hindsight too, because it was off Leonard Fournette and it was around the chalk tight end, knowing there were so few options. So rather than getting cute like I did at tight end, a onesie position, everyone just played them and then got contrarian elsewhere. So just thinking about those builds, I think helps set up for this week, which we are against seeing is condensed chalk because everyone wants to play the same two games and the chiefs and washington and the ravens and chargers and with that kyle i want to start with you i want to hear what your decision point is as you've probably been stuck as i have been trying to jam a couple of lineups this week with those certain players
2: Yeah, I think for me, it's probably how do you approach the expensive quarterbacks? Because you already alluded to it. The chalk games are the obvious quarterback spots. It's Lamar Jackson. It's Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. Like, uh, can you potentially pay down or even pay in the middle range? It's not pay for, quote, elite quarterback play, because that will immediately give you a really unique roster construction. Because I think it's going to be pretty obvious that it's going to be pay up for quarterback. Most of the pay up quarterbacks have an expensive wide receiver to pair with. And at that point, then you're pretty much pigeonholing yourself into playing the value running backs and some of the value receivers if you can build well-projected lineups that just don't you know they're they're completely different in the sense of they don't have the same price points at the same positions i think that's just going to be a super leveraged spot i'm not as confident in uh you know last week i really felt good about choosing the Tampa Bay passing attack over the running back. I don't think there are as many good one-to-one leverage points by players on the same team, but I think there is a very, a very big potential for leverage by building a roster that spends in different ways, but still projects well. I also think making sure this is a
0: point I wanted to make at the end of last week's show. So I'm just going to do it now. I also think you have to remember when building lineups is that it is already so hard to be right, so hard to be right. And so uh, it is just so important to make sure you are attempting to be right the least amount of times. And so that's why the lottery ticket lineups, I'm not saying like Brandon Cooks, Odell Beckham, um, uh, Robbie Anderson, like uncorrelated plays, these guys are not good, but you need them all to hit in separate instances. Whereas with game stacks, with double stacks, that's why we do it because – there is, there are less things that need to happen in order for that lineup to be successful. And so this week, with just two games in particular and other opportunities to get on, that's why I think I'm actually, to your point about being contrarian in your stacks, that's why I think I'm more on the ancillary options that are going to go overlooked. Like your Marquise Brown, who we could argue is going to have a higher target share, even though the Chargers don't allow big plays, um, since Sammy Watkins is not available. Even if Rashad Bateman is active, we know he's probably going to be limited with someone like Donald Parham who is a contrarian play off of Ricky Seals-Jones. I don't know if I can get there since we know Ricky Seals-Jones is going to be at every snap, but also it's Ricky Seals-Jones. It's not someone outside of price. like We really need to force into larger tournaments, especially when there are other 3K tight ends who have as much touchdown equity as him. Also, someone like Dami Brown, who in weeks one and two played over 90% of Washington snaps. Everyone probably forgot that. The production also... Probably forgot that, too, since he didn't do anything. But also, he's going to be out there, we assume, without Curtis Samuel on every single snap and the best matchup possible. And so it seems like he's going to fly under the radar as well in that game as a secondary piece. And that's sort of where I'm trying to look at for my contrarian stacks this week. What are your thoughts on the matter, Chris? I,
3: I think that's the uh, the right way to think about it, because if we are looking at things from an ownership perspective, we want to try and move away from that. It's just how unique do we really want to approach this slate? Like how like how far off the board do you really need to go? And I think if you still try and look at the games that we at least can project from a game environment standpoint are going to provide the most production, at least versus the rest of the slate, where can we find some of those one-off plays that we can still get a little bit of that production? Like with when you mentioned Donald Paul. that's a great example of that we're already seeing at least from a routes run and then also the target perspective like he's also starting to catch on like in that chargers offense so we can if we can identify some of those plays that can get us some of that production without going like full into that like from an ownership perspective the games that we know everybody else is also going to be looking at as well that's where we can find those either skinny stacks or just one-offs that can wind up like boosting our lineup while not being i guess completely uh in the same boat as the rest the field in terms
0: of uh, from an ownership perspective. This is where I go back to you, Chris, because we have three games to late swap to. We always emphasize and hammer home late swapping still a big edge. People can be out with their friends drinking, and that's just fine. Just set that mm-hmm. notification, set that reminder in your phone to tell you at two p.m., three p.m. Hey, make sure I'm checking late swaps and injuries. Make sure I'm checking my lineup so I can get off these players and give myself a chance to, at the worst. Get your money back. And uh, this week, one of the main late swapping games is one that has not only seen its total decrease over a field goal, but is also projected for wind. And you are here because you're my friend, but also because this is what you do. You break down the weather for us. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on the Cleveland-Arizona game, but also like what are the thresholds we are really looking for every Sunday morning when we see these instances with wind and rain occur?
3: So the first two things that I typically look for uh, when I start to look at weather projections or just the forecast in general are uh, when it comes to wind, two things. One, uh, One, the speed. And my general threshold, at least where I start to pay attention, is 15 miles an hour. It's not, it doesn't really take away from or have a significant impact on the players or just like the game in general. But that's just where I start to watch and monitor and see if there's going to be any sort of change like moving forward. But then when I really start to get concerned is any anything over 20 miles an hour. For creeping into the 20 mile an hour range, that's where I start to get concerned. But of course, we need context. We need to also look at the individual pieces, the individual players. And then of course with my detailed analysis and how nerdy I get about this entire thing, I also dig into stadium design. Design as well, I look at how tall the stadium is, see if there's any sort of natural barrier that can be put in place that can might shield the players or shield the game itself, like from the actual wind when it comes up when it comes through. And that's one of the things that I looked at for this particular game. We've actually seen games played at first energy field that have been in about in the 19 to 20 mile an hour range where the game hasn't been uh, the game hasn't been affected. That's actually happened a couple of times over the time that Baker Mayfield has been a part of the Cleveland Browns. And from a Even from a passing perspective, a yards per drive perspective, unaffected. Uh, There were two games last year. Um, in weeks three and also in week eight, actually, when uh, during the Las Vegas game, where we were uh, we were operating in that 20 to 25 mile, uh, mile an hour range. It's just that folks wind up taking a look at the production. They look at the end results and say, well, Baker Mayfield only scored about nine fantasy points. So we then glom on to this, uh, the analysis or this results based analysis to say that we can't start any of the passing pieces. But specifically in that Houston game that wound up actually having even worse, uh, even worse results. That uh, part of the reason was because once they actually were able to drive down to the uh, get into the red zone, they actually had a is either a penalty, a false start, something along those lines, a botch snap that wind up actually uh, short circuiting one of their drives. Mm -hmm. So that completely changed like the outcome of what Baker Mayfield's like passing production could have been for that game. So I try and look at things from an opportunity standpoint. What is what what are the uh, what are the changes in passing production or not passing production, passing opportunity? And really nothing changes from Baker Mayfield's perspective until we get past the 25 mile an hour mark. And as of right now, the forecast shows around 20, 21 miles an hour with actually the, uh, the weather or the wind speed actually reducing throughout the game so unless we start to creep into that 24 25 26 miles an hour i'm approaching that game as we were beforehand and just trying to focus on well what are the how would the teams normally interact without any sort of weather uh, weather conditions or extreme conditions being a part of it and especially with the nick chubb injury which i'm sure we'll talk about i mean that's really the thing that i'm focused on more so than the wind speed
0: and i actually want to bring that into my decision point because It's dealing with the injuries because I think we're going to lose one of these running backs in the fold. Someone's going to be forgotten. And Kyle, I'm curious who you think it is, because obviously this game with the wind will not only present late swap opportunity, but probably a game overall that no one will be on. And so that presents an opportunity in itself, whether we think it's right or wrong at the time when we are trying to late swap to the player. So someone like Kareem Hunt... Uh, someone like, let's say, Joe Mixon in the afternoon with Samaj P. Ryan ruled out still on the COVID list and Mixon's supposed to be handling his full workload. We also have Antonio Gibson, Chuba Hubbard looking like they're both going to start. Devontae Booker in the mix as well. Daryl Williams, of course, in one of the most popular games. And then Khalil Herbert, who I think is going to catch a lot of roster percentage just because he's priced underneath like the 5K barrier where everyone looks so they can spend up. Uh, who do you think among those gets lost in the fold? And generally, what are your thoughts Thoughts on Kareem Hunt in tournaments? Because I'm still curious what kind of ownership he's going to catch.
2: I mean, I think he'll be the most popular play of the slate. I can't imagine he's not. I mean, we saw last time that he was like a 20-touch-per-game guy without Nick Chubb, and that was without being really involved as a receiver, which I think most people will assume, and I believe is the correct assumption, that's probably an anomaly, that we saw Kareem Hunt play nearly all of the snaps, but still not draw targets. To me, that just kind of reeks of small sample size, whereas it it intuitively makes sense, and is what we would normally project for him to both be, you know, the the one and the two running back with Nick Chubb out, but then all Also take on his normal receiving work and the little receiving work that nick chubb would get so i I would think he's kind of a a pretty obvious chalk spot he's i believe 6200 if i I have that off the memory right so i would think it's him as you said khalil herbert i would agree then maybe like uh like daryl williams potentially uh austin I would imagine that game is gonna be super popular and he's coming off a super hot game i think one spot that uh right now i'm looking at roster projections and i'm not seeing a ton of daryl henderson despite literally Two days ago, if you were looking at the slate in the middle of the week before we got all of our injury news, looked like like a cash game lock essentially, right? Whenever he plays, he's fifteen plus touches at least. You know, in this iteration of the Rams, and there's really not any like I don't have much concern at least that Sony Michelle will eat into his role. Daryl Henderson has played efficiently. He's played a ton, and he's a massive favorite. That's really all we need to see from a running back. But I think because he's just like the fifth best value now, instead of being the second or third best, he probably gets lost on the shuffle where it should be tiered down, right? There should be like a 2% roster percentage between the next best, the next best, the next best, because despite our projections being the best we can do, there's still a ton of volatility that goes into a sport that six points are awarded for a random event, like a touchdown. So we can't be that confident that any one running back will outscore another running back. But I think ownership kind of projects an overconfidence. So I think, uh, you know, a guy like Daryl Henderson, who two days ago, like I said, I thought he was a cash game play. Now I don't think that because we have other options, but I think he gets lost. I think he's the guy who gets lost in the shuffle. Just like you said,
0: I completely agree. Uh, Daryl Henderson is one of my favorite plays just because he's jammed in between all of those other guys like you mentioned. It's also why I'm pretty much off of Khalil Herbert as we get into fades of the week so far, because I think that's the plan. Um everyone only wants to spin down for either beryl williams or khalil herbert Mm -hmm. and i feel like williams also going to catch a ton of ownership just as a way to get off of patrick mahomes and at least some of the passing game even though that doesn't make much sense to me since we know washington's front seven what they do best is still allowing just under four yards per carry to opposing running backs and opposing running offenses so i still like attacking that game through the airs i'm sure a lot of people do uh but herbert everyone just cites the word free square freely (laughs) but the thing is like when you're talking about this low play volume offense that you know has thrown Hasn't thrown over 24 times in four consecutive games. Like it's not really a, it's not really a sexy position to attack. It's not a good offense to attack. It's not a free square, in other words. And so if you're telling me like that's what I have to leverage off of, that's what I have to pivot off of, is you going to Khalil Herbert? I think it's pretty simple, honestly. Especially in a slow-paced game, we know that's how the Packers play as well. Is just efficient and extremely slow. So I don't mind going there and trying to spend up instead. Chris, what about your top fade of the week?
3: So I think my top fate of the week is the guy that you just mentioned, and that is Daryl Williams. And like you just mentioned, it's difficult for me to see how Daryl Williams like winds up, I guess, getting to the, the, the requisite number of touches and or like fantasy production that we think in order for him to be even close to being a quote unquote free square. Of course, he's attached to the Kansas City offense, which we thought would be great. But if we haven't really been excited about starting CEH, why should we be so excited for Darrell Williams now? Like I get the price adjustment, sure. But if we're looking at an offense that's now has been top two in both pass rate over expectation overall and also pass rate over expectation once they get into the red zone, where is that upside like for Darrell Williams? I think Kansas City, if I'm remembering correctly, they've been bottom five, bottom six in terms of uh, positional targets like to the running backs. So again, where is where are those touches going to be? And now with Tyreek Hill coming back, uh, to practice on friday now we'll see if he winds up being in that like quote-unquote decoy role and michael hardman is the one that gets jammed with targets or travis kelsey gets jammed with targets where is again where's that path for daryl williams to be jammed with some of those targets and we've even seen Derek mckinnon pop up and get some of those targets as well so unless you're envisioning a scenario where let's say tyreek hill or byron pringle or demarcus robinson or somebody Winds up having like getting a like say a DPI called in the red zone and they line up at the one and they do one of those like weird motion things that they always do that they always cook up like once they get close and Daryl Williams is the one that winds up just banging it uh, into the to the end zone. Okay, fine. But otherwise, from a from even from a neutral standpoint they're going up against a team where the one thing that they actually do well on defense is being able to stop the run. So I'm just not seeing like why folks would wind up going in that direction when at least there are some other options. They might not be in the same vicinity from a cost perspective. At the very least, they, at least there's some production that we can see coming from any of those options that might be around Darrell Williams.
0: That's why I like spending down, especially because he's in between Herbert and Williams is J.D. McKissick in the same game? Because if you double stack Mahomes, like what better game script? You're playing McKissick for that game script. Like mm-hmm. you're hoping Mahomes gets a 21-0 lead and then Gibson will come off the field because that's not his role. And suddenly right. McKissick's here on DraftKings, of course, not FanDuel, but on DraftKings, here he is. And he's just in the perfect pricing spot where everyone forgets about him too. That's why I kind of I love him this week with the uh, Mahomes stacks.
2: What about you, Kyle? What about your fade? Uh, it's going to be the the probably the entirety of the Ravens game. Uh, I just think why sure. like. They're going to, I get it. The pricing is good. It's uh, you know, it's the pricing is pretty good on the Raven side. We had the Lamar Jackson blow up, uh, I believe it was on primetime Monday night. So they didn't get the chance to probably price him as the QB one. If not, it would have been like a hundred less than Mahomes. but the game has like a three point lower total than the chiefs game. And Patrick Mahomes is going to be less popular than Lamar Jackson. I, you know, I've preached this, but when the ownership is so directly pointing towards the lesser of two games, I'm just going to take the better game. Cause there is a game with a similar total. I think it's within a half point that, uh, you know, it's not going to be a popular game, but there's a game within a half point of the Ravens game that's going to draw fractions and fractions and fractions of the ownership, and it's also pretty cheap. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll spoil it now. It's Patriots Cowboys, fifty-one point total. Like I, I'm shocked. I'm surprised. A game that features uh, the, the seemingly run-heavy Cowboys and uh, you know rookie quarterback Mac Jones not doing a ton has that high of a total. But that is the same total as the Ravens game. So if Vegas, the sharpest, the sharpest way we can determine who is going to score the most points in a given in a given slate, if that's if Vegas is telling me that's the case, I'm not going to completely fly in the face of it. I think that game is probably a better leverage point off the Ravens game. And if you want more points, if you want the highest total, just go up to the Chiefs game, which also has a very good value quarterback in Taylor Heineke in it. So I like the Ravens game just falls into the sort of no man's land of it's not the greatest game of the week, but there are games that are probably as good of values on the week, but I think it'll be the most popular by a pretty wide margin.
0: Especially if uh, Lamar Jackson, like we know he's probably going to catch the second highest roster percentage among all the quarterbacks behind Mm -hmm. Mahomes. So it does make sense to avoid it entirely, even though we have to have a discussion later on if Mike Williams is scratched what to do with King now and Allen. Joey Middleton, who I appreciate is always in the show also has a scary baby photo. Uh, he also says Zeke is being ignored as the Cowboys to- team total has risen two points, nearly a field goal throughout the week. So mm-hmm. that total and team totals are on the rise, which is what we like Cowboys now sitting at 27 total points. And we know we can get leverage off their passing, game, even though no one's going to play their passing game either way with Zeke who continues handling more touches and more carries inside the five. Then, Tony Pollard, uh, what about, and maybe it involves this game as well, the Patriots-Cowboys, Kyle, but what about your highest rostered player this week or someone you're confident in for recreational flyer, something like the $9 slant, which I continue emphasizing everyone should play on DraftKings because not only is it pretty cheap, but also like it is a terrific payout. The structure is amazing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because I already talked about, you know, I hyped up this game as just, uh, you know, a cheaper way to buy into a lot of points. Jacoby Myers, like this dude, one time in my life, I swear to God, he will get in the end zone. I think he was taken down at the one last week and it is crippling that he has not scored. I, I Is this true? I've heard this said on podcasts, on Twitter. It cannot be true. He has not scored a touchdown since high school, uh, uh, at least a receiving touchdown. I, that is somehow inexplicably true. I just don't care. At some point, the guy will score touchdowns because he's like 12th in targets. He's got a really good weighted opportunity rating. It's a game that we've seen surprisingly. I, I would have said this goes against all conventional wisdom on the Patriots, but they haven't been trying to protect Mac Jones. He's They're passing at a top five, top 10 rate in the league. They're underdogs in this game. And it's it's a defense that has been very beatable. The only way they have produced like not complete like washes of their defense is kind of turnover variance. So I'm perfectly fine. Just Jacoby Myers will score a touchdown for me one day or at least i'll try trying
0: uh i'm pulling it up here and i can confirm Jacoby myers did score touchdowns in college okay, okay. Thank, thank, all god. Right. thank god thank god at one point right. in his football career did score a touchdown all right just wanted to make sure because i actually thought about that for a second too i was like oh okay uh chris what about you what about your favorite tournament play contrarian option what do you have going on for us Uh, I think one of the guys that
3: might get overlooked uh, is uh, AJ Dillon. Now, maybe not. I think overlooked might be a strong word, but just because after seeing him being used in the passing game, I mean, four targets last week, which is at least a season high for him, still on a, let's say, lower snap count as compared to Aaron Jones. We see him get the rumbling, you know, the receiving touchdown and all that. So everybody's excited about him moving forward. But now, with all the other options that we discussed in his price range. I mean, again, you've got Daryl Williams uh, there, Khalil Herbert, like uh, even like cheaper than AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones, but he's been limited all week. With an ankle injury. I think the Packers are what four, or five point favorites over the Bears. And if you look at just in this season, over the first like five weeks of this season, the touch count between Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon uh, actually favors Dillon. I think we have like one extra rush attempt than uh, then Aaron Jones, like while the team is in positive, uh, positive scripts. So if we think that's going to happen, and of course, Vegas apparently agrees with me, I do think that AJ Dillon could be the one that's in the game, like once they're basically in clock killing, let's go ahead and, you know, pack things up. Like, you know, we're ready to go. NFC North is ours. So I do think that AJ Dillon, at least from a tournament perspective, it would be a decent one-off for this weekend.
2: I wanted to, I wanted to correct. Yeah, it's not since high school, as you said, but he does have this... Also, it's insane. The most career targets for a receiver were zero touchdowns in the history of the NFL. And it's actually oh not really close. He hasn't, he hasn't scored. It wasn't since high school. It was since college. But he's played like as a number one receiver for the past two years and was still decent his rookie year. Hasn't scored a touchdown most career uh, most career targets without a, uh, a career touchdown. He will get there one day. Uh, I also like I already mentioned
0: Brandon Cooks who as the Colts have a high team total um I feel like no one's going to try to run it back and he's just like the only run back you can have it's not Chris Moore mm. who's called up from the practice squad it is Brandon Cooks who last week was the first time he had fewer than 7 targets or a 21% target share in any game I have full confidence going back against with him especially against this Colts team that is suddenly like and I understand why they garnered sharp money on their winning the division because their number was, was plus 300 somewhere in that range. Whereas the Titans number to win the division was still minus 200 minus 300. So just, just how close they are. That makes sense. Having said that doesn't make them a good team. They're still maybe not even better than the Texans. They just happen to have one good game on prime time. And now all of a sudden everyone's high on the Colts that they're not a good team. And thus I don't mind going right back to them using everyone's, leverage using everyone's just what they saw on Monday night against them and playing Brandon cooks very confidently, even as a standalone option. Also uh, for me, Dalvin cook is going to get lost and no one wants to pay up at running back. And he has an awesome play. Uh, Remember last year, whenever he came back from injury, they just jammed him to the lineup. 220 of the teams, 250 carries from the time he came back to the end of the season over the second half of the year, this year came back, but also came back too early. Obviously re-aggravated the ankle injury. What that was, They even mentioned that they were going to keep playing him. They held him out last week, but they have a bye in week seven. So I would imagine, and after he practiced in full on Thursday and Friday, removed from the injury report altogether, I would imagine he is at full strength. No one's going to play him. And man, he has arguably the highest ceiling of any running back in this slate.
2: I love that call. I was hoping uh, one of you guys would bring that up because that was the exact same thing thing I thought. Mm -hmm. There are just so many good good values, but 7,700 Dalvin Cook, if we know he's full 100% himself, is also a smash value. We are just not sure yes. that he is that but the thing is he is either full dalvin cook or he's not it's almost like a binary range of outcomes it's like a closer to bimodal distribution than your average running back Than like you know assuming joe mixon is healthy this week kind of thing and if he is going to be uh you know 100 percent dalvin cook he would be 30 percent owned at this price and he's not i i agree he's going to go well overlooked because there are things we can be like more confident in i would say But confidence doesn't really matter for tournaments. It's about finding a lineup that can go, go absolutely berserk. Even if that only happens once every three years, if it's a, if it pays out a hundred X when you win, it doesn't matter. So I love that call
3: right and- I, agree, I also agree with that because I think it makes I think the going into this week it would have made some rational sense from a coaching perspective that they've got the bye week coming up they, uh, they're off what in week seven correct mm-hmm. so it just would make some sense that with his ankle injury that they would let him rest up but if Mike Zimmer is going to just go ahead and throw him out there and f- at least from everything that Cook has mentioned to the media so far this week that he's going to be at full go then we have to trust at least from a workload perspective that's going to be there and I'm 100% with Kyle I mean if that that's going to be the case then yes like if we knew that he was going to be full go and from whatever we from everything that we've heard is going to be the case then yes like the ownership would immediately shift uh, in his direction but since we've seen alexander madison like perform uh, over the past couple of weeks and even with uh, what was it back in week four when he wound up actually missing some time during that same game uh with uh re the ankle injury i get the injury concerns like might be a reason for fading him but at the very least, if the coaching staff is telling us that he's going to be available, he's telling us he's going to be full go, then we have to at least trust that. And then with his price, I think that's a, that's a really good call for this week.
1: If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
2: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there.
1: Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Okay.
0: Also, if you want to do this as well, uh, you can skinny stack them with Robbie Anderson because Christian McCaffrey and Dan Arnold are still out mm. of the picture. And Anderson, I understand the inaccurate targets have been there from Sam Darnold, but also the usage has been there the past two games. Run a route on 92% of Sam Darnold's dropbacks in that time with a extremely confident 23.7% target share. So it just makes for a skinny stack as we go along here and get into our sneaky stacks portion of the show where I think it's just an awesome player where, where the usage is there for everyone. You need them to hit a of course, but no one's going to play them despite all the usage still being there behind the scenes. Chris, I want to start with you and your sneaky stacks, your favorite stacks of the week.
3: So the sneaky stacks. So we'll go back to that New England game, like where, I mean, nobody's going to want to like, nobody's going to play Mac Jones. I mean, he's yet to crest like 300 yards in a game. Multiple touchdowns have been there, but they've also come with interceptions. So if we're banking on at least like them, like with the total still being like where it's at, we're, we know that there's going to be at least some sort of back and forth between them and Dallas. I do think that there's going to be at least enough there for Mac Jones to start to at least creep into our, a ceiling outcome for him, along with pulling along guys like Jacoby Myers. We'll see if Johnny Smith is going to be able to do anything but only six routes last week, so I would lean more towards like Hunter Henry, or even if we want to even dive even deeper, looking at Ramondre Stevenson or one of the other backs that are currently there in the backfield. So at the very least, starting off with Mac Jones, pairing up with Jacoby Myers, and then seeing what we're going to do with one of the tight ends, bringing you back with any one of the, the Cowboys that we would love to play like on a weekly basis, CD lamb, ins- I mean, any insert, any of the wide receivers at this point, but I think starting there and kind of like uh, working around that particular game would be where I would start in
0: terms of a sneaky stack. And since the total is decreasing um, in that chargers Ravens game, like maybe you want to play it certainly, but I'm really not worried. These are my famous last words. I'm really not worried about Herbert and Lamar Jackson. Like to me, it's either, Patrick Mahomes takes souls and crushes you for not playing him, or you get away with fading three hundred touch three hundred yards and three touchdowns, which you're fine with. You can get away with fading that um, for playing one of the cheaper options. They just also have to have three hundred yards and two touchdowns at twenty or thirty percent less ownership, which is something like Mac Jones will bring to the lineup. So I don't mind it. I'm still I'm still trying to figure out Mahomes and Taylor Heineke and like where I'm at with them. The issue with Taylor Heineke though is that like you never. Quarterback chalk never usually gets condensed since there are so many plays at a onesie position. But also this week, we know if everyone pays down at quarterback, it's going to be for Taylor Heineke. And I don't, mm-hmm. and just because it's going to catch so many people playing him, that means he's a bad play. Unless you're like stacking him in ancillary ways, like Diamond Brown, like Ricky Seals Jones, plus, you know, whomever else, DeAndre Carter, pending how, uh, uh, Terry McLaurin also shakes out here. So that's kind of what we're looking for there. But I would say Heineke's probably one of the worst quarterback plays on the board just because everyone's going to pay down at that spot. What about you, Colin Stacks?
2: Yeah, well, Chris took the best one. Like the one no one's playing is Mac
0: Jones, uh, despite that. Also, exactly. that, one's a, uh, that one's also, you know, whether you have Zeke or CeeDee Lamb or someone, that
2: one also is an afternoon game. So like you can always swap off if it need be too. Uh, why would you it's such a great play no the thing is you would you literally would if uh you know if everything else around that stack smashes like you don't need Mm -hmm. to stick on the on the really high leverage play if pretty much everything else especially if anything else contrarian on your team hit i'm just gonna take the other side of the game i think it's a game that i want both sides of uh and i think you do have to like it's a immediate run back spot potentially with one of the the running backs depending on how the health of the new england back shakes out But you do need uh, New England to keep it close because in their first three wins of the season, the Cowboys were below uh, pass rate over expectation all three of those games. I believe they were the next week as well. Uh, But yeah, they're a team that is pretty comfortable with when they have a comfortable lead. They'll just run the football. And if you have Dak Prescott, you probably can't get by with 29 pass attempts. You need the game to be close. That's the thing is if you are stacking this game up, you are expecting it to be closed by nature of your build. So I think I'm perfectly fine playing, you know, the the Dak double. I, I think you have to double. He's not enough of a rusher that he gets there without two of his guys going off. So I would Dak double and I'd probably go with tight end because I'm typically, if I'm like, unless I'm playing Kelsey, I'm just trying to use my tight end to say, well, if Dak scores five touchdowns, there's a good chance that one of them goes to the tight end. No guarantee, but it's the correlation I'm trying to build in. So I would probably go uh, tight end and CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper, pick your poison. I think they're both good plays. And, you know, run it back with Jacoby, run it back with one of the running backs. Hunter Henry as well, after, like, the kind of quiet start, has, I believe, eight, six, and five targets in the past three games. Looks like, and as Chris said, the Jonu routes just aren't there. He's, he's probably just a blocker. Uh, right. You know, Hunter Henry looks like a good enough tight end that, again, just correlate him with your lineup if you're playing a lineup that already features other players from the game.
3: They had Jonu Smith, uh, what, down in a three-point stance, like acting as a fullback last week, if I remember correctly. They did, yes, you were correct. Just the the wildest thing. I don't know what they're doing. For the money they paid for him, I I have no idea what's going on with Jonu Smith.
2: Well, I think he had like an 80-yard rushing touchdown with Tennessee once from the same fullback (laughs) position, and you just have to try and chase that magic. Yeah.
0: You talked about uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, I think he's awesome no matter how you play the Patriots. Even if you want to try and play... Uh, Zeke with Cowboys defense. I'm fine with that too. I'm actually, maybe that's still point chasing because I'm still so frustrated. That was such a good correlation play last week and I missed out on it. Um, But yeah, I think that's just fine as well. Also, I like, I think Joe Mixon, I, I still love Dalvin cook more. Joe Mixon's going to come in under rostered. And I completely believe Zach Taylor. Now that Joe Mixon was full on Friday, I believe he's just good to go and he's going to get his normal lineup against, of course, this lions defense that is allowing the most re- running back receptions, um, on the year. Also Deandre Swift in an amazing spot. Uh, Uh, against the Bengals, like that's how they get their points as well. And so I'm fine with skinny stacks for Joe Mixon and DeAndre Swift, or maybe one-offing Joe Mixon or DeAndre Swift with one of their receivers. Even though, of course, the Lions, it's it's very hard to do, especially as uh, TJ Hawkinson continues to be banged up. I already mentioned Dalvin Cook and Robbie Anderson. And then I'm curious to get thoughts on... The Well, let's go ahead and get into the last segment. Let's go into parting shots because I have a few loose notes here I want to get away with and I want to get everyone's opinion on. So first off, given the Colts' high team total, let's start with you, Chris. Like, Is there a favorite way in your mind that you would want to play the Colts' offense if you're playing them?
3: So if I'm going to play them, I'd probably say the uh... – the The easiest way, I guess, which is also going to carry the ownership, is just to go through Jonathan Taylor. I mean, with the amount of work that he's been doing over the past like couple of weeks, I mean, of course, we—I'm not as, assuming he's going to wind up with what 60, 70 yard receiving touchdowns on a weekly basis, but at very least from the uh, from the touch share that he's garnered over the past like few weeks, even with them trying to showcase like Marlon Mack on a weekly basis, I think that that would be the easiest way to play it straight up. So if you're going for a single entry, maybe a small field like three Mac like type of tournament i could see just playing that game straight up we'll just take the jonathan taylor production and we'll keep it moving otherwise i think looking to the passing game if we do think that carson wentz is a strong play this week i mean even from a streaming quarterback perspective like for those that are looking for uh, looking at season long takes i mean that is also a a solid play for this week so if we think the receiving game is going to have any sort of production in this game primarily that's going to come through like michael pittman I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with T.Y. Hilton for this game because he does wind up being active. I mean, looking at the splits for T.Y. Hilton against Houston, I think like five out of the last eight matchups that they've played against the Texans, uh, T.Y. Hilton has had either 100 yards or scored a touchdown in five of his last eight matchups against them. So that could be like the deepest play, like maybe like one that might wind up on a a winning uh, milli roster. But otherwise, I think the easiest way to go through it, Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, and then we'll just like Uh, just for skinny stacks and then just look at the other games.
0: Uh, What about you, Kyle? Any thoughts on that? Because obviously it can be Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman. But like Chris said, if T.Y. Hilton comes back, then maybe we get off Michael Pittman.
2: Yeah, I'm not like dying to play Michael Pittman either way because he's not, I don't get it. It is uh, especially buoyed by some early season production. But Zach Pascal is like their primary touchdown guy. He leads the team in end zone targets. He leads the team in red zone targets. Do I think that is optimal when you have like alpha wide receiver Michael Pittman on your roster? No, I don't think that's even close to optimal. But the team has been telling us that they seem to think like Zach Pascal and Mo Ali Cox should be their primary reads in the red zone. So I will, I would probably just go with Jonathan Taylor in the spot, and it it makes perfect sense. I mean, he's a massive favorite over a bad defense. There's not too much to get complicated with. And if you're pairing like double pay up running back with pay down Mac Jones, like that is a perfectly fine way to build still a very high ceiling roster that gets you off of the uh, the chalky construction.
0: Uh, one week after Squeaky Wheel Robert Woods hit. What are your
2: thoughts, Kyle, on the Rams passing game? Yeah, I was uh, I was really interested in using the Rams passing game as Daryl Henderson leverage because I was just assuming two days ago that Daryl Henderson would be one of the more popular running backs now because I don't think it gives me this sort of, you know, the seesaw effect of whenever Daryl Henderson doesn't hit, it's maybe because Matt Stafford threw four touchdowns. I'm not quite as interested. I'm probably just looking more at that this team as one-offs, which I think is perfectly fine. Like I think you can totally just play, you know, even uncorrelated, uh, Cooper Cup, uncorrelated Robert Woods. It's just I'm probably moving away from stacking them.
0: I agree. It just seems odd though that last week everyone wanted to play Cooper Cup, and now no one's going to play Cooper Cup. And mm-hmm. that's what I I just keep coming back to. No, like whether it's Kadarius Tony is questionable, I think he's going to play. Looks like. St- uh, we're not sure about Darius Slayton. Sterling Shepard's definitely playing. Um, Devontae Berger's going to get every touch for sure, even though it's a terrible matchup. So it's just like, I am i just keep looking at that game, especially because the Rams have the second highest team total on the main slate. And it's like, I feel like I need something here. But then again, maybe you're right. If just Daryl Henderson is going to get forgotten, which it seems like after all the injury news on Friday, then maybe that is just the overall play. Even though as Rich Rebars has said, uh, he's become the Deontay Johnson of running backs. Like, <laughs> when he's in there, he's going to be awesome. He just need to stay in there for a change. Uh, Chris, what about your thoughts? If we lose Mike Williams and it's only Keenan Allen, 6,400 on DraftKings, 7,100 on FanDuel. I think it's just the easy route is just go ahead and you wind up playing him. I think from a cash perspective, he
3: almost becomes a lock for me at this point. I think the chargers now are top five, top six in terms of pass rate over expectation through five weeks. Even if uh we're concerned about like what the what the chargers overall situation situation is going to look like if they lose their wide receiver one or the, if you want to say 1a 1b i'm not going to argue with you but either way I, I do think that with baltimore with their defense kind of taking a step back and i think that um, that was like really emphasized like in their monday night game against the colts if that's going to be the case i mean keenan allen is set up for one heck of a matchup we already know that the targets have at least the opportunity has been there for keenan it's just that we haven't seen him get it get into the paint as much as Mike Williams so I think the offense is already set up to at least uh be predicated on uh on the passing game we know Keenan Allen from his history even without Justin Herbert has been one of the target monsters uh, the target leaders like within the league so I would lean more towards playing Keenan Allen than not if that's the case for Mike Williams
0: what about you for for tournaments Kyle um in your formats how do you lean Keenan Allen
2: yeah that would be uh like a, a really not easy spot to, to fade keenan allen in it's a you yeah. know pretty high total game we expect it to be uh relatively fast paced i would maybe just lean towards uh correlation with him like trying to play like a lot of maybe marquise brown on the other side i think uh, rashad bateman's min price if he comes back to this game maybe he's someone you could get interested in uh but it, it would be difficult to just play chalk one-off keenan allen because you're probably in that case just giving like most of your keenan allen points just go to like justin herbert chalk anyways you're like like just losing to those lineups. So I would say maybe you're trying to correlate him like as a, a skinny stack with someone else on the other side for me it would be Marquise Brown.
0: Mm-hmm. Off the top of your head, Chris, is there a, cause this is where I keep coming back to. If we lose Mike Williams, is there a significant projections bump for Donald Parham? Because if so, that gives mm-hmm. me good leverage off of Ricky Seals Jones as well, especially on DK where both of them are basically the same price. I would think so. I mean, while I mean,
3: Justin Herbert has been almost like not necessarily living on those deeper passing attempts, uh, but even still, like if that's going to be the case, I mean, I'm not going to uh, instantly say that, all right, well, let's just start throwing Jalen Guyton into lineups. But I do think that with Donald Parham and his increasing touch share over the past like few weeks, and also the routes run as well, I think that that at least does give us some indication that should Mike Williams sit, he would become a larger part of the offense, like just born out of necessity more, but also the talent has been there as well. So yeah, I agree with that.
0: And uh, I learned from mistakes last year, so I will tell everyone, like it doesn't look good whenever you put a certain whatever tight end, whatever cheapy tight end in that slot. And then in your flex, you have Travis Kelsey, but like you have to break your brain and remind yourself, Travis Kelsey is basically a wide receiver, especially on draft cakes. You still get the hundred yard bonus because he's just as likely to get there as any other receiver. So uh, I don't mind actually that I might actually start leaning more towards that. If we lose Mike Williams, uh, Kyle, your thoughts on going overweight on the field and Washington KC. Like what about a Mahomes triple stack? Is that, Not optimal.
2: Yeah, I I would say probably not because I was just looking at this today and uh, the highest scoring Tyreek Hill line or highest scoring Tyreek Hill games almost never feature good Travis Kelsey games. They have scored together Mm. uh, 30 points each one time in the history of them playing together and their correlation is actually like slight, slight negative. It's mean It's meaningless. I would say it's, you know, the R square was like 0. 0.0001 or something. So I think they're just, they both require so much of the offense to go off that they're like neutrally correlated. You don't actually get that sort of team goes off mentality, at least from the way the points are scored. And especially because their prices are so much, you literally need 35, 40 points from them. And for me, I'm almost always just picking Tyreek Hill. Their, their ownership typically comes in similar enough. and And with tight end there are no other Travis Kelsey's really. You could argue maybe Darren Waller, but really there aren't many, there are no Travis Kelsey's where there are Tyree kills on most slates. You can find a Devonte Adams. Mike Williams has been crushing it. He's active at expecting to be popular, stuff like that. So I think Tyree kill is more likely to get lost in his position, even though I don't think he's unpopular this week, but I think Travis Kelsey comes in as popular And one of the dudes has like 50 plus point upside and and you're looking more. I know it's obviously relative to the rest of the position, but I do think the upside, I mean, the the stats have proved it out that Travis Kelsey's upside just isn't quite the same. So I tend to lean towards not playing both of them in the same lineup. So at that point, I'm probably not playing three. You know, I'm not playing the third. I'm not playing both Pringle and Hardman and Hill. So I would probably just double. Do you have
0: any educated lean on Hardman, Robinson and Josh Gordon and Pringle?
2: Uh, I would just take Hardman. I, I still think he's probably most likely to run the most routes. And especially when he's on the field, his routes are more likely to turn into targets. Whereas Demarcus Robinson throughout his career is, is just right. like the typical wind sprinter. He's like the the blocking. He's an extra blocking tight end. You know, that's all he does mm-hmm. is he doesn't draw a lot of targets per route run. So I would take Mikkel Hardman. But do, can I have much confidence in that? You know, of course not.
0: I still think McKissick is a really good spin-off of that stack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, Chris, is there any other any other weather games we need to worry about outside of Browns Cleveland, which I didn't mention in the skinny stacks portion? I haven't wrapped my head around it. That's probably why I'm hesitant. But maybe if Patrick Mahomes doesn't end us, maybe Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham make sense, especially since the Chiefs are or since the Browns are running hot on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can tell how hesitant I am when I'm talking about it, because I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to, like, this is the way I build lineups. So I try to talk mm-hmm. myself into it, like, how can I get there? But um, if no one's going to play that game, and also I'm pretty confident DeAndre Hopkins, fresh off season high, 29% target share, no Max Williams, no Zach Ertz this game. So no reason for me to believe that doesn't stick. Maybe Rondell Moore as well. But it seems like a really good opportunity to pay up for DeAndre Hopkins, who's also going to get lost among Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. So any other weather games, though, you're concerned about?
3: The only other weather game that I was slightly concerned about coming into the weekend uh, was the the Ravens Chargers game. Now that one I'm almost I have like no concern about because while with the cleveland arizona game while that one sits was sitting at least when i looked at it last night was sitting around like 19 20 miles an hour uh the baltimore game is just over the minimum threshold it was like sitting around like 15 16 miles an hour but if uh but looking at like stadium design that stadium actually sits even higher than the cleveland browns i think it's like 180 181 feet but then also part of what i mentioned earlier the two things that i look at when looking for like bad wind games is not just the speed but also the direction. So if you want to think about, I mean, you play golf, John. So if you, would you rather hit play into, yeah. When you, uh, would you rather hit like into or against a wind or, uh, or, or have the wind behind you? Or would you have it blowing across you? Like me personally, I'm going to slice it either way,
0: but <laughs> that's I'd, the I, answer. That was you know, my answer. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, but still, I think most golfers would assume that if the uh, if the wind is coming either at them or if they're golfing into it, then that would be uh, you know the, uh, that would be their particular choice for the Ravens uh, with the way that their stadium is actually positioned, the azimuth it actually flows like right in the direction of the wind, so no concern there. I, I have uh, I mean, what with the what was the quote this week? What Justin Herbert can throw a strawberry through a battleship or something like that? So that's <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. yeah Yeah. so like with the arm strengths of either either opposing quarterback in this game like i have no concern over it so i'm monitoring i'll be monitoring throughout the weekend but for right now i think those are the only two games most folks should have concern over
0: and finally last parting note kyle uh do you have to roster do we have to roster tyreek hill or devontae adams in this slate one or the other or can you get away with fading both
2: um, no, you could definitely get away with fading, fading both. There's a very realistic scenario where I, I'm, I'm probably uh, more of the opinion that I will be at least the way I'm building rosters. Playing a lot of Tyreek Hill, a decent amount of Devonte Adams, but if you built a highly leveraged lineup that featured, if you could build a highly leveraged line, which I think you can, I think it's just a little harder, that featured, you know, a Lamar Jackson stack or a Justin Herbert stack, at that point you were probably almost disadvantaged by playing Tyreek Hill because the whole point of playing either of Lamar Jackson or Justin Herbert is that game well outscores the the Kansas City game, so you wouldn't want the pieces of that game to go off. I think you'd be losing out on a lot of leverage by playing Tyreek Hill in those lineups. I've chosen to build a different way, so I will have a lot of Tyreek Hill, but I'm certainly of the opinion that you can build plus EV lineups that feature a Justin Herbert stack. And in that case, I would not want to play Tyreek Hill. And at that point, you're just asking that Devontae Adams doesn't score 30. It's a tough ask, as we saw last week, but it's certainly possible. There are definitely other routes you can take, especially like I said, if you pay super cheap receivers outside of your stack and then go pay up for Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook can absolutely outscore Devontae Adams. And it's probably difficult to afford them on top of your already expensive stack. So that's maybe one way you could really do it. Do you
0: think that Tyreek Hill is going to lose ownership over the weekend because of the injury? Or do you think everyone's just going to say it doesn't matter It's Tyreek Hill? I think most people say
2: it doesn't matter It's Tyreek Hill.
0: Okay. That's what I, I mean. I was, I was hoping he'd lose roster numbers, but that's fine. <laughs> it's okay. I understand the game we're playing uh, with that. Chris, before we get out of here, any other thing that you want to mention about this slate? Uh, I mean,
3: uh, for some folks, I mean, uh, hopefully everybody remembers, but it's not like a massive game most folks care about anyway, but there is another London game this week, even though it is overseas. I am tracking that from a weather perspective as of right now, like no concerns. There should be completely clear game. Uh, We'll see if Urban Meyer actually winds up getting a flight back. But I mean, that's a whole other issue. Either way. I mean, just thanks for bringing
0: me on. Come find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX if you need me. Yeah, you did your own touting. I didn't have to do it for you, uh, Kyle. Any other thing about this slate that you want to get out before we get out of here?
2: No, I mean, I think uh, I think we covered it uh, pretty well. I guess I'll throw it back to you. What are you doing? I, we didn't talk too much. I talked a little bit about Kelsey, but what are you doing with the pay up tight ends? I think this will be one week where pay up is pretty popular between Kelsey, Mark Andrews, even Darren Waller, Dagle. I'll let you answer the question because I have mostly made my decision. I think I'm paying down, given that I'm not. I'm more team hill than kelsey if there's a team what are you doing with the pant tight ends is on
0: on Fanduel. i'm still playing around with it i can see playing ricky seals jones over travis kelsey um even though it's only like 2500 it's always that's always the construction on fanduel which is aggravating but on DraftKings, kings is travis kelsey and ricky seals jones both of them one in the flex is that going to be pretty popular i would doubt it i don't think people play a ton of two tight end I think I'm. I think I'm kind of. I think I'm kind of open to that. Like I said, if you break your brain and imagine Travis Kelsey as a non-tight end because he is basically a receiver, I think I'm okay going that direction with Patrick Mahomes. I think the so guys from that's the how Swolecast I think I'm gonna play it.
3: it. I think the guys in the cast were kind of touting that like earlier in the week, but okay, I made just know. square.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love, love you, Dave and Pete uh, and Dan. Um, okay, that's that's how I'm gonna probably handle tight end. I've actually haven't configured anything but double tight end this week, which is scary. Um, it just reminds me this Chiefs Washington game. It reminds me of remember whenever Raiders played the Chiefs either last year or two years ago, but it was a Sunday and Monday night games, and thus their prices weren't correct. Like they just, DraftKings did not get them right at all. And everyone was cheap. And so the way to win was to literally play seven of them. You just jam them all in and then pay up elsewhere. And so it just seems like, and I'm trying to get off this, but If I don't pay down at quarterback, which, again, would not be with Heineke, be elsewhere, like paying up for Patrick Mahomes and literally playing seven guys like playing Donby Brown, J.D. McKissick, plus Mahomes, Nicole and Tyreek or Kelsey or like Josh Gordon. Like it just seems like that's the way to play this game, honestly.
2: Yeah, I I can see that. Uh, I I think Mm -hmm. it depends. It really depends. We talked about it last week a little bit. It depends on your contest size, right? The odds that something akin to the optimal lineup features seven players from the same game very low it's it's unlikely to happen because there will be weird random players who score two touchdowns there're only so many touchdowns to go around if you're trying to beat a thousand opponents you do not need to come within earshot of the literal optimal lineup. Whereas if you're in the Millie maker, it's probably within like 10 or 15 points, uh, you know, a one V one or a two V two away. So I think that really depends on your field size. And uh, the football team is relatively priced in a way like the McKissicks, the Diamis that they don't, you know, you don't need the football team to score 30. You don't need them to match the chiefs. You just need the touchdowns to break your way or a ton of receptions for someone like McKissick. So I would say uh, certainly possible in small field. I would say once you pass maybe like four or 5,000 entries, I'm probably living myself to a double stack with still a double run back. That's still a lot. It's just not, you know, seven. Double stack, double run back for sure. Like that's
0: for sure how I'm playing it. Just a matter of adding one more guy in there. Um, What about you, Chris? I think that's the
3: right approach is, but I think the The problem I'm having is with a lot of players that we've been discussing it's these are the guys that are in the let's say four or five like 6k range like where we know we're going to need some salary relief unless we're looking at trying to pay down like for the Mac Joneses the Taylor Heineke's of the world to kind of start off our build so each week like one of the conundrums that I typically have is like who are those like cheap wide receivers that we're really going to be able to maybe uh, like wind up having not necessarily like I'm not expecting anything like Kadarius Tony from last week but who are the guys that might be able to get us you know a five for sixty like type of a type of production where we're at least they're at least providing like some value to our rosters. I know we've already talked about Diami Brown um and then maybe if you want to toss in like guys like you know van jefferson onto the back end of your lineups if we're looking at like the rams passing game you want to leverage some of that uh donald people's jones like in the same game as cleveland if we're really thinking that most folks are going to be off of cleveland's passing game because of the wind uh but another guy that i've been like really trying to like figure out i mean since we're talking about the washington kc game if there's issues with terry mclaurin i mean adam
2: Humphreys? anybody i mean maybe Dude, i played adam humphries like two weeks ago you can totally play him He'll, he's yeah. he's good for three for 19 every week no, I, <laughs> yeah but like legitimately i played him because uh it was just before curtis samuel came back and i was like i mean he's running a, a good chunk of routes in whatever game it was it was a game i wanted to stack and he was dummy cheap and i was like i don't know he goes six for 16 a touchdown it could certainly happen uh so yes the answer is uh, disgustingly I, i've done it
3: OK, yeah. So that's that's where I, that's those are the things that I'm trying to think through, because as I'm building my rosters, it's like, OK, I want to play that guy. I want to play that guy. But then as you're building on DraftKings and you see that amount per player continue to tick down, that's like, OK, where am I going to find that relief at? also with the requirement of having that lower rostership value? So I think that's where I think is going to be one of the key parts of the week is that even once we find the guys that we want to play, where are we going to find also find that value without having to sacrifice the rostership value? And that's going to be part of the part of the problem when building lineups this weekend.
0: I also wish I had any confidence in Matt Nagy because it seems like a good spot for Justin Fields to come under the radar, but I can't even for a Millie, maybe just for the Millie. Otherwise, like I just can't swallow that pill. It's just too ugly. Mm -hmm. Um, And just remember everyone, as we get out of here, you were trying to get as little right as possible. You just, you want to make life much easier on yourself. That's how you correlate properly rather than playing the lottery. So with that, he is Chris Allen, Chris Allen FFWX on Twitter. He is Kyle Dvorcek at Kyle Tweets here. Of course, I am John Daigle at Not Jay Daigle. We'll be back Sunday morning noon Eastern for the Start Sit Special presented by Applebee's, answering those redraft questions I see in the chat but have purposely ignored. So until then, next week Friday six PM Eastern. Thank you for tuning in. Good luck this week. We will see you then.
1: If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, "I'm okay," when the truth is.